to the book of 1 Corinthians, if you would. It's kind of hard when you start a service and you go make an announcement like that and you go, okay, let's just be joyful and have a wonderful time. But truthfully, we got to move on. We got to put a smile on our face. We got to put our shoulders together and work hard and do so joyfully. Amen? Amen. Okay. 1 Corinthians. All right. And I found it interesting, Chris, that when you were exhorting Mario, that you started talking about lifting weights and getting stronger. I ended the series last week, okay, that I had been preaching about on a trip advisor. And uh, that, that was the conclusion. This week I started a new series, and it's called Aerobics, all right? And the first in this series of aerobics is called Run to Win, okay? And we're going to go through every place in the Bible where men and women ran, all right? Sometimes it was running in a negative way. Sometimes it was running in a positive way. But tonight we're going to deal with the Apostle Paul and his obsession, so to speak, with running, with athletics. 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27 says, Do, not, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, my, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Hebrews 12 and 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. I love sports. I, I, I love act, a, uh, athletics. And when I get in a social setting and men are talking about uh, football, baseball, basketball, golf, those kind of things, I feel real comfortable and at ease when they're talking about sports. I begin to lose my comfort when they start talking about hockey or soccer. I know nothing of those two sports, but I appreciate the enjoyment of it. But you, you can just know that. How, how many of you in here like baseball? Anybody? A few of you, about 50% like baseball, okay? Well, I like baseball, too. And baseball, it's really interesting because it's filled with statistics. I mean, they got a statistic for everything that happens. In other words, that one team wins more games when a certain pitcher wakes up and eats bacon before the game that night. Those are the kind of statistics you can find in baseball. I mean, there are all kinds of statistics, okay? Uh, 2,000 years before the creation or the invention of ESPN. And by the way, does anybody know what ESPN stands for? I don't either. Okay? I, I, I don't understand. But anyway, um, does th that acrostic just escapes me. But we find the Apostle Paul, 2,000 years ago, was obviously a sports guy. He lets this affection for athletics bleed over into his writings, as you're going to see right now. We see the one in 1 Corinthians and, uh, you know, Hebrews. There's some debate on who wrote that. 
It may have been Luke who actually wrote it, but it might have been uh, the Apostle Paul who was sharing along with him at that time uh, uh, what, what he was thinking. But anyway, we just read from the Corinthian epistle, and Corinth was the site of the Isthmian Games. These games were the predecessor to the Olympic Games. And Paul knows that the Corinthian people love the games, so he uses the analogy of running here in 1 Corinthians. When he wrote to the city of Philippi, he knows that they're a city that loves chariot races. They loved them. And knowing this, in order to be relevant to them, he writes to them of chariots. Philippians chapter 3 and 14 says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The words there are what you would use when it says, I press on a chariot driver racing. His eye is trained like steel toward the finish line, making sure that he knows what's going on all around them, but he does not blink at that finish line. His muscles are taut upon the reins so that he can control the horses in front of him so that he can win the prize. Everything in him is pressing toward the finish line. And writing to the church at Galatia, you get a running analogy again. Galatians 2 and 2 says, I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running, had not been running my race in vain. And then you skip over to chapter 5 and verse 7 in Galatians. It says, You're run, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? And then he writes to his spiritual son, Timothy, and he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 2 Timothy 4 and 7. Paul loves to use the idea of running to describe the Christian life. And it's a very appropriate analogy. Running is about progress. It's about passion. It's about effort, single-mindedness, excitement. And it's also about destiny in our lives. In Hebrews 12, Paul talks about running the race that's set out before us. Did you know that every person in this building, sitting in one of our chairs, God has a destiny built inside of your life. He's got a purpose for you. He didn't want you to just get up, go to work, to get the money, to buy the food, to get the energy, to get up, to go to work, to get the energy, to buy the food, to get the, and on and on and on. You know how bored you got in the last seven seconds that I spoke that? Can you imagine living that cycle of life, all of your life, and how boring that could get? Running the race set out for you is a great analogy. Number two, it's obvious when the starter gun fires and the runners come out of their blocks, there's progress. I was waiting outside the mall for my wife one night. And she was in the mall. I don't know exactly what she was doing in there. But I had to wait for a considerable time, and that was okay. I could have gone on in with her because I'm a bigger shopper than she is. But I'm standing outside the mall, and I realize something. So I start walking in a rectangular shape about 60 feet, maybe by 40 feet, just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And she comes out, and I did notice her come out, and she observed what I was doing for a little while. And finally, I got her, she got my attention, and she said, what are you doing? 
And I said, I'm getting my steps in. You know, back when you're wearing the Fitbit, you know. So I got my steps in out in front of J.C. Penney's that night. And I think I had to do about 2,000 steps that night. And she had to step there, stand there and watch for me for about another 700 steps. But anyway, the Christian life, whether you realize it or not, is not just about making a decision. That's part of it, okay? I came to the Lord. That's, that's a good thing. But then, after we make that decision, it's about progress. It's about growing. It's about development in our life. A new Christian, in his zeal, got into the line at a tag agency in Springfield, Missouri. He was standing there, and as a man walked up behind him with a suit and tie on, the new Christian turned to him and said, Sir, do you know Jesus is your Savior? Are you saved? And he said, I'm, I'm saved. I'm being saved, and I will be saved. <laughs> and he answered very wisely by saying that. See, salvation is not just about a date on a calendar, but it's also about a journey that's being taken. When we ask Jesus into our heart, that's static. He comes to where we are. But then he says, come with me. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That's progress. That's action. That's going somewhere. Saints, I have a question. Are we still progressing? Are we still running? I knew a guy who was a runner. And he laid out his running gear every night before he went to bed. That way, when he got up in the morning, he didn't have to have a de- make a decision about whether he was going to run or not. It was there. You put on your shoes. You put on the shorts. Or you put on the warm weather clothing, wherever it is. But every morning, that was just the routine. One morning, the alarm rang. He got up. He put on the shoes. He put on all the gear. He was ready to go. He went through his entire day. But in the evening, something happened. He forgot something. He forgot to run. And that's what it's like in the Christian life. We've got this date down. We know the date. We made the decision. And Christ came into our heart. But have we forgot to run? Have we forgot to progress? Have we forgot to move on? We've got to progress. If we don't progress, we look like the man Paul described. He's running aimlessly. 1 Corinthians 9, 26, Therefore I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. You might get mad at me for what I'm getting ready to say, but I want you to hear it. No matter how much I progress in the Christian faith, I never graduate from doing Christianity by faith. I thought that when I got saved and it developed into a relative maturity, I would break through some kind of a sound barrier and everything would just be clear. I could hear the voice of God clearly and His direction clearly all the time and everything would make sense. But this side of eternity, no matter how much you've grown, no matter how much you've progressed, this life is done by faith, period. 1 Corinthians 13 says, we look through a glass darkly. We peer through 
but we can't see everything clearly. But one of these days, it will be made clear. Number three, attitude matters. The call to healthy thinking. Psychologists say that 10,000 thoughts pass through your mind every day. My question is, how do they know? You know, I quote psychologists a whole lot of times, and I have to ask myself that question. How do they really know these kind of things? But nevertheless, I believe them. But if they had 10,000 thoughts pass through your mind every day, more than 3.5 million thoughts a year will pass through your mind. person that ran marathons, he said that the last four miles of the marathon are pure agony. Your body's hurting, but it's all about the mind in the last four miles. The mind is saying, stop. Dana and I went on a vacation one time. Two days in the va- into the vacation, we get a call from the neighborhood security company. They passed our house two days straight, and our front door has been open. Two days straight. My heart skipped a beat. I looked at Dana and said, somebody's broken into our house. You know, and I I finished my conversation. The security people are going to go in. They're going to take care of everything, let me know if if it appears anything's been vandalized or whatnot. And I'm looking at Dana, and uh, she's giving me that look. You ever gotten the look from your husband? And she's giving me the look. And it's like, what? She goes, Scott, you remember when the Uber driver pulled up? You had to run back in and get your backpack. You left the door open. I said, oh, my goodness, what on earth could I have been thinking? What door could I be leaving open in my mind to any passing thought? Bitterness, lust. The Bible talks about taking every thought captive. We guard everything that comes into our bodies, or most of us do. And I'm not talking about health necessarily. I'm talking about things we don't like. We guard it. We push it away from us. We don't want to ingest that stuff. When you're traveling in a foreign country, you're really careful about what comes into your body, you know. But when it comes to our thoughts, perhaps we need to be as distinguishing as we are about what comes into our minds as what passes through our mouths when we eat. It's coming into our minds. Number four, discipline is the call to good choices. Everyone that entered these games goes into strict training. Paul says in verse 25, he is referring to the 10-month period that one is required to train before the Isthmian Games. You didn't just show up and run. You didn't just show up and jump. You didn't run, just show up and throw whatever heavy object you're supposed to. Careful discipline was needed. When I was studying, I thought I was going to talk about spiritual discipline right here. Okay, and, and, and that was kind of the direction that I was going. But I want to talk to you. You know, I was going to talk to you about prayer, Bible reading, 
come to church, all those things that we already know we're supposed to do. But I want to talk to you about those have been, who have been disciplined to run in the rain. When I got saved, I truthfully thought God would be a lot more talkative than He is. Some of you are nodding at me. You get it. Some of you are going to say, well, you just haven't been listening. Okay. Sometimes it's as though I've been running in the rain and I really am uncomfortable and I can't hear. And I'm just being as transparent as I can be. Some of you can relate honestly with what I'm saying. I just want to say to you that have run in the rain, that have run maybe with not hearing exactly where you're going, what you're doing, I want to say to you, thank you. Thank you for the discipline in running this race without a lot of directions. Thank you. Even when you haven't heard the directions, you ran anyway. When you didn't know what was going on, you ran anyway. Thank you. Being perfectly transparent, I had a bad day yesterday. And I decided to take some time to pray. It's not that I just pray on bad days, but when it was going bad, I, I decided I'd pray. I've developed a couple of prayers over the years that are going to amaze you in just a minute. Did you ever hear the prayer of Jabez? I can't take credit for that. Somebody already wrote that. But here's the prayer of Pastor Scott. And it starts out, Help! And here's the second part. Help! And the third part is a tired help. Amen. It's over. That's the prayer of Scott. T-shirts, towels, and coffee mugs will be available at Mardell's in a couple of weeks. But I came up with another prayer yesterday that was a little different. It went something like this. God, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Amen. Why was I having a bad day? I don't really talk about my bad days a whole lot when I'm standing here in the pulpit. This is where I was having a bad day. Dana told me that a friend of Ola who keeps our nursery, keeps kids back here, lovely young lady, just as sweet as she can be. She had a friend that she went to school with at Rama, 
and uh, this couple were married, went out to the, la- the lake to just have a day at the lake, enjoying one another, enjoying nature, enjoying the water. And the uh, husband decided that he was going to take a swim. And he told his wife, I'm going to see how far I can swim. He never came back. He drowned. Godly couple, apparently. I don't know them. But that's the testimony of people that love them. And through all the conversation I've heard to everybody, everybody goes, why? Dana even posed the question to me, why? I don't know. But here's what I have to say to you that have been running in the wind. Thank you for doing faith while you've been hemmed in by question marks. Things kept battering you as you ran down the track. And I want to say, look at you. Look at you. Look at you. And Jesus says, look at them. They kept going. Thank you. Because that's discipline. You ever heard of a man by name Eric Little? Raise your hand if you have. Do we know who we're talking about? Eric Little, the Englishman, who is the subject of the movie Chariots of Fire. Do you know him now? Okay. He would not run on Sunday. So when he got to the Olympic Games in Paris, France, he was to run the 100-yard dash, but he refused because that race would be run on Sunday. So they changed his race to the 400-yard run. Never trained for that. Never done that. They said he had the most ugly style of running imaginable. They said that when he was running, he had his hands out like this and claw-like. And when he crossed the finish line, he crossed the finish line with his mouth agape like that. So it was the most ugly running style you'd ever seen imaginable. Harold Abrams, his rival in the 100-yard dash, said, who cares about his style? He gets there. (laughs) They said when Eric Little ran, it looked as though he was clawing the air after some animal or something. Ugly sight. This may be how you've been running your race of life. Hasn't been pretty. Not been stylish. May have been even laughed at. But who cares? You're getting there. Thank you. Number five. Great running calls for teamwork. The call to become a coach. The great race in the Isthmian Games was the relay. 
And the key to the relay was Queen Baton Tosses, or passes, I should say. And this is a great picture of encouragement. Are you an encourager? Okay. Here in the state of Oklahoma, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there was a, 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 a group of young men in high school. It was the 400, uh, no, I'm sorry, the 1,600-meter relay. Each man ran a 400-lap uh, around and gave the baton to the next guy. And uh, Anyway, this, this team here in Oklahoma was running for the state championship, and they were good. They were swift of foot. They're running, and they get it all. Everybody gets in their position. This little scrawny guy who was running for this this fast team gets down. Runners to your mark. Gets set. Go, and they take off. When the starter's gun takes off, and he's running, he's leading, and, and, and he's going. But something happens, and he loses his rhythm. And one foot catches the back of his calf, and he falls. And this is when they ran on cinder block tracks. And, and uh, anyway, they fell, and he, he sprawled, and his arms were cut up, his knees were cut up, he's bleeding everywhere, and he's kind of disoriented, and everybody passes him. And he gets up, and he just starts running, and he comes in well behind other, all the other ra- runners, and he passes the baton off, and he walks into the infield of the track, and he falls down. He puts his head between his knees and just cries and sobs, and those Tears are making mud stains on his face. He doesn't know what's going on around him. The race finishes, and he's sitting there in his sorrows, and all of a sudden, these guys tap him on the shoulder. And he looks up, and he sees three big guys standing beside him with gold medals around their necks, and it's his teammates. And he says, I'm sorry I let you down. And they go, let us down? Nobody would have blamed you if you didn't get up. But the only reason we won the race is you got up and you ran. It's the only reason. He thought he'd fail, but he really won because he finished. How do you recognize a person that needs encouragement? Truett Caffey says you recognize them this way. They're breathing. I've got a video I want to show you. This is from Chariots of Fire. It says in the old book, He that honors me, I will honor. Good luck. Jackson Shirt. So where does the power come from to see the race to its end from within?
Jenny, I believe God made me for a purpose. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. that little note that was passed to him by the American? I don't know. Apparently that's a movie I'm supposed to watch, but anyway. I don't know if that was the reason he won or not, but I'm certain that it was not a stumbling block when that American came up and gave him the encouraging note. They weren't even on the same team. But he handed him the note. <laughs> He who honors God, God will honor him. You know, a lot of us think, well, maybe that was the end of the race. That wasn't the end of the race for Eric Liddell. As a matter of fact, it was probably very little of the race for him. See, runners go to the finish line. They're faithful till the race is done. After he won the Olympic medal, he went back to doing what his purpose was. His parents were missionaries. He went and served as a missionary in China where he had been born. He served from 1925 to 1945. He came home on furloughs two times. He was placed in internment camp when the Japanese aggression began to infiltrate China. When the country was invaded, he began refereeing soccer matches in the internment camp. The games were held on Sundays, and he coached anyway. He was asked, why did he do that? And he said, well, the youth were getting restless, and he thought it would help them. He wouldn't run on Sunday for his own glory, but he was happy to serve on Sunday if it would help others. Eric Liddell developed a brain tumor. Winston Churchill arranged a prisoner exchange for him. His third daughter was getting ready to be born. He would rather see his wife go home and receive the medical care that she needed and the sanitary conditions, and he refused the exchange. On the 21st of February, just a few months before the camp was liberated, Eric Liddell died. A survivor of the same camp, a man by the name of Langdon Gilkey, he said, often in the evening I would see Eric bent over a chessboard or motorboat or some toy or game, exhausted and weary, pouring all of himself into the youth of the camp. He was doing all he could do to capture the imagination of these pinned-up youth. He was overflowing with his love for life. He radiated even in his sickness, enthusiasm and charm. It is rare to have the good fortune to meet a saint. He was as close as anyone I've ever known. And after his death, the same man wrote, the entire camp was stunned for days. 
According to another missionary, his final words were, it's complete surrender. This signified his relationship with God. It's complete surrender. Eric Little finished well. Running was just a small portion of his race. He went back to doing his race when the Olympics rolled. And he finished. Would you stand? You're in a race. (laughs) You didn't know that you're in a race, but you're not competing against the person on either side of you. You're not competing against the person on the farthest ends of the room at all. The race is for God. You're carrying His baton. You're carrying His torch. He's put a destiny and a purpose in each one of our lives. And I'm praying that God's people have not stopped running, have not stopped growing, have not stopped developing. You all already know what it takes to grow. You know what it takes to develop. You know what it is to be static, too. And we've all been there in that position before. And I pray to the Lord that every one of you today will say, God, don't let me be stagnant in my life. Okay? Let me grow. Show me my direction. And when I feel like I'm running in the rain and I can't hear what you're saying to me, I'm just going to keep running. But if there's something you really need from me, just please make me know. I'm going to pray for all of us, okay? And I hope you'll pray for all of us as well. But if you find yourself in that static position, let's get moving. Let's start running again, okay? The first step is progress, all right? The second step is more progress. Just keep progressing. You don't have to run the fastest. That race doesn't go to the fastest person in here. It goes to the one that endures, okay? Eric endured. (laughs) He went all the way doing everything that he could and pouring it out for humanity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just point at this whole congregation in my prayer. I pray will affect their spirit. I pray, God, that they'll have an inspiration inside of them that will cause them to run. Lord, that they'll run that race that's laid out before them. Lord, that they'll find their purpose and they'll achieve their potential that you have for them. But Lamb of God, I believe you're just wanting us to follow you, to listen as closely as as we can. Lamb of God, even when things don't seem like they're going well, when we have bad days like I experienced this week, Lord, when we pull ourselves back up by our footsteps and say, God, I don't get it, but I'm still following you in faith. I've not gotten so big that I can't depend on my faith to follow you. Lord God, when we have those bad days, that's when our faith is so important. Lord, I pray that that faith will never go away, that it will just continue to increase. Father, we love you. We give you the honor. We give you all of the praise because you're worthy. In Jesus' holy name.